0: All right, so we're in Acts. Where we find ourselves is in Acts chapter 21. Now, if I can, let me provide you guys with some context. This is the third missionary journey. Paul went on three total, three missionary journeys, okay? Um, this is the third and the final for him. He is making his way back towards Jerusalem. Uh, he, he is determined, he's bound and determined to go to Jerusalem. Now, this is key for this chapter because you're gonna, you're gonna walk into some controversial subject matter, okay? Was Paul in obedience to God? Was he in disobedience to God and all this good stuff? Um, hopefully, we'll clarify that today. But he's going back to Jerusalem, and ultimately, Paul's goal was to, you know, really, he wanted to get the gospel to Rome, okay? But this is it for him. Like, in the matter of, like, probably about two to four years, Paul will no longer be alive. I mean, this is, this is it for him. Now, when the book of Acts ends, he still is alive, okay? Um, but this is his final, this is the sun is setting on the Apostle Paul and his ministry, so to speak. Um, and he is bound and determined to finish really what the Lord had started. And not in his own strength, um, because faithful is the Lord to finish uh, what he has started in each and every one of us. So that, that's kind of the, the scenario. He's, he's moving like from from city to city, working his way south to Jerusalem, okay? Um, Let's start verse one. Chapter 21, verse one, this is New Living Translation. It says this, after saying farewell to the Ephesian elders, we sailed straight to the island of Kos. The next day we reached Rhodes, and then we went to Patera. There we boarded a ship sailing for Phoenicia. Uh, We sighted the island of Cyprus, passed it on our left, and landed in the harbor of Tyre in Syria, where a ship was to unload its cargo. Okay, so pretty simple, we just bounce, you know, just from one coastal city to the other coastal city. Not a lot of details, you don't really need a lot of details, honestly. Um, it's just like, yeah, we, I was driving to Amarillo and I, I had to stop in this city to get some gas and then, I, you know, we loaded back up and we, went, we stopped at Bucky's, of course, you gotta stop at Bucky's. Um, you get your snacks, get your gas, then you go, right? You don't need the in-betweens, you're not looking for the in-betweens, it don't matter that much, okay? So Paul's like, yeah, we stopped here, we stopped there, we stopped there. We went to Bucky's. We got, you know, all this good stuff. And they don't even have Bucky's, but you get it. Um, they're they're just going city city. This is, in one sense, this is kind of getting frustrating for Paul. Okay, we're gonna see this. Road trips. You like road trips? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Manos, uh, a little bit. Okay, that's fine. Um, if you're the driver of the road trip, you don't like a lot of stops, right? Am I right? Um, you're like, I just want to get there. Um, so you can understand Paul's frustration that's building because he's about to leave this little ship he's been on because he's like, can we please stop stopping? You know, like, why, why, you just went to the bathroom. Why do you need to go to the bathroom again, right? He's going through that right now where he's like one stop after another. He, he's, eventually he gets to a point where he's like, we need a bigger boat that's gonna get me to Jerusalem as fast as possible. Now I say that so you understand his heart. Because what he's about to be confronted with is contrary to what's, what's already been, he's, what has been established within his own heart, in his own mind. So they're unloading some cargo. Somewhere within there, they end up finding a bigger ship to jump onto that's going to go for greater distances, okay? Verse 4, we went ashore. As the, this ship is unloading its cargo, they get about seven days. So he's, they go ashore They found local believers and stayed with them a week. These believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is New Living Translation words. It's a little different than some other ones. Um, They prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. Well, but that's what he's doing. He's going to Jerusalem. So, and, and I don't, this is where like New Living, I really appreciate New Living Translation. It's not when it comes to this kind of text, it's not really my favorite, all right? Because there's a little bit of the translation, the way they word it, it, it may not be exactly that the Holy Spirit was pressing this upon them. Other translations would say they're moved by the Spirit or a Spirit or something like that, a conviction that He shouldn't go, okay? If you look at the original translation and all that good stuff, okay? But doesn't mean we throw away the New Living Translation. If you go to that extreme, you need to, you need to chill out. You need to calm down, okay, and just just read the Bible. Study it for yourself. We don't need to throw away any translations except for maybe the New World Translation because that's garbage. Um, but you, we stick to actual valid translations. And, and when you come across something that you may not like how it's phrased, get another Bible. Open up another Bible and see what it says, all right, you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? You just, just relax and just consult other translations. This may have come across and you'd be like, I, this doesn't even bother me. That's fine. Um, it's just the wording because some, what it communicates is like these guys were, the Holy Spirit was speaking through these guys to the Apostle Paul. So this kind of frames it that Paul's being disobedient to God, and I don't believe he is. I don't believe he is. I think this is one of the reasons why Paul would write in his uh, his last letters, like 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, where he would instruct believers to test the spirits, test all spirits. So somebody comes to you and say, hey, I feel like the Lord is telling me for you this, test that spirit. Because it's not always legit. It's not always from the Lord. It may be something that they feel strongly about their conviction, and they want to press their conviction onto you. And I'm sorry, but that's not how it works. Okay, now if it's something like the actual Holy Spirit has told me this and I need to share this with you, sweet, excellent. Does it line up with the scriptures? Does it line up with the scriptures? If it does, okay, then receive that word. If it's a warning, take that warning. If it's a word of encouragement, be encouraged. If it's something about conviction, well then be convicted and then deal with it, right? Own it. But if it's like, this doesn't really, because I've had people in my life say, hey, this, the, the Lord has told me this for you. And then I consult the scriptures, and I'm like, well, I don't see that anywhere in here. Actually, I think that that's you trying to tell me something that you're strong, you feel passionate about. You just want me on your side. And I, I, I'm sorry, but I don't, that's not healthy. We don't need that. We don't need manipulation within the church. We need to be spirit-led. Okay? So these guys probably, it's hard to be dogmatic on this, right? Because there's two sides to this thing. Probably, they understand and they probably, maybe the Holy Spirit has told them if Paul goes to Jerusalem, he, it's nothing but trouble. And so maybe they're motivated by emotion and they don't want him to get in trouble. They don't want him to be bound up. And so they're pleading with him, please don't go, we don't want you to get locked up. More than likely, that's where they're coming from. It's an innocent thing. But it really is driven in one sense by selfish motives. It just really is. And, and, and Paul, I'm sure he can appreciate it. He's like, Look, I, I'm glad you guys care about me, but I have to go. And, and I would, and let me just read you the verse in the previous chapter. In, in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, it says, This is Paul to the church there in Ephesus. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I do not know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Verse 24, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus the work of telling others the good news or the gospel about the wonderful grace of God. So that's chapter 20, verses 22 through 24. This is Paul. He's already communicated this. He's like, look, the Holy Spirit has already told me. I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit to get to Jerusalem. And now these Christians are like, no, please don't go to Jerusalem. He's like, I got to go. I got to go. But This is what's going to face you. He's like, I already know what's going to face me. The Holy Spirit's already told me that, and it's okay with me, and I'm fine with it. He's not walking into Jerusalem blindly. He knows that every single city he's been on missionary journey one, missionary journey two, and missionary journey three, he's been been beaten to death almost like, you know, countless times. He knows what it's like. He knows what he's going to face, and yet he keeps on going. The real lesson here that gets missed because of the controversies is that paul is bound and determined to finish his race and see we get caught up in the things of like well no see these people are saying you shouldn't go and then but he's saying no listen the the spirit can come and speak into people's lives and speak into your life and have a message for someone. and they tell you like hey look i really don't think you should do this that's fine test every spirit test it test it all you know what but here's, the, here's the, 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 the winning card or whatever you would say. Here's what surpasses all of that. What has God told you to do? What has he told you to do? Because I can promise you this. He'll, he'll speak into your life, and he'll ask you to do something that's just crazy, usually, sometimes. Take a step of faith. And you will have well-meaning people who care tremendously about you will we'll come alongside you and say, look, I don't know if you should do that. I don't know if you should do that. I've, I've experienced that multiple times in my life. Even with simple, silly little things of like going to Bible college. It's only two years Two years of my life. Not a big deal. Go to Bible college. And I immediately had family members who cared about me would come alongside and be like, well, I don't think you should do that. I'm like, it's Bible college. If anybody needs to go to Bible college, it's this guy. Like because I don't even know what books are even in this thing. I got saved right before Bible college. But they're like, oh, that's two years of life. I think you should go to college. I think you should get a degree and and all this stuff. And well-intentioned coming to me with like, but I think you should do this. The Lord had already told me, you're going to Bible college. So I needed to stay focused on what he had already told me and not get swayed by well-intentioned people. They want what's best for me. And I get it and I appreciate that. However, I have to stay on track. You and I, we have to stay on track. You have to finish the race, period. You have to finish. There's no other option. There's no other options. Too many people quit. In Christianity, too many people give up. Too many people have bailed out. That's not true for you. You see the finish line. You keep on running you're going to have well-intentioned. Just stay focused. Stay focused and do what God has called you to do. These people, well-intentioned. I, I don't think that they're trying to mess with Paul or anything like that. I just think they want him as alive and around as long as possible, and I, could, I understand that. But Paul's like, look, man, I, I'm, com- I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit to get to Jerusalem. I know what's waiting for me. I know what I'm walking into. And I'm going to walk into it confidently with boldness. He knew that even just by going to Jerusalem, that there was a good chance that they would kill him there. And they tried to. But he's not scared of that. He's not afraid of that. Number one, because he knows who God is. He trusts the Lord. His life was in the Lord's hands. When Paul was set to be born on this planet, he was born on this planet. When Paul was, when it was predetermined by God, when Paul would leave this planet, that's when that was going to happen. And Paul could walk confidently, not ignorantly and not foolishly, but he can walk with confidently understanding, man, my life is in the Lord's hands. My life is in the Lord's hands. And he's called me to do this one thing and I'm gonna do this one thing until the very end. I will finish my race. I will finish my race. We need to have that same kind of determination, that same kind of boldness within, within our lives. Not being foolish, wise as serpents, gentle as doves, but God is—he's—he's he's called you to do something for him and he wants you to finish this thing out. Even if it's like 60 years down the road, you keep on running, you run today. You just run today. You don't worry about tomorrow, Whatever happened yesterday, the, if you f- tripped and fell flat on your face yesterday, okay, that happens to each and every one of us. It happens. Let him pick you up, dust you off, and just start running today. Today. That's it. You don't win a marathon by like, you know, just full-on sprint at the, at the shot of the gun, right? Like, that's not how you win. You're crazy. You've never ran a marathon if that's how you think it goes. You, you just each step, each step. I focus on each step. This this step, that step, this step. And then by, before you know it, there's the finish line. And you made it. So this is Paul. He's going to Jerusalem. These believers in Tyre, beautiful little believers, um, man, they're like, please don't go. And he's like, ah, I kind of got to go. Here's a little side note to this. This would be my encouragement for you guys. If you travel, it's hard to do nowadays, um, you know, with all the stuff. But If you travel, here's my encouragement. Look for believers in whatever city you go. Go to church. Don't take a vacation from church. Please don't do that. Now, there's been times where I haven't been, I've been on vacation, I haven't been able to, but the thing I love to do the most is go to churches when I'm out of town. Number one, because I'm not the pastor there. Oh, praise God, right? Like, I can just show up, I can sit, I can open up my Bible, and i don't have to do anything i don't have to solve you know i I just i don't have to worry about i just walk in the door i get to worship and it's just beautiful um i would encourage you do the same thing if you go visit another city and they have like a midweek service or a sunday morning service go meet brothers and sisters in the lord they're everywhere you can go anywhere on this planet and i promise you you'll find brothers and sisters in the lord and you have a bond that's the coolest thing that should be the cool one of the coolest things about christianity is you have a bond with complete strangers, it's awesome. This is what Paul did. They got off the boat. What did they do? They went and found a church. They went and found the brothers. There's no synagogue here, so they had to probably find, you know, do some searching and whatever. But they found believers, and they were able to minister to them, and then they were ministered to as well. That's why don't take don't take a vacation on God. Just don't do it. All right, that's not smart. It's not smart, right? If you can't go to church, um, somewhere else. Uh, you know, out of town or whatever, then that's fine. Do that. I prefer, you you know, maybe don't do that when you're here. Um, I appreciate you showing up. Like, I actually want you to be here. Um, If you go and visit other churches on the island, that's totally fine. Uh, I'm not, I'm not keeping track, number one, Uh, in case you're wondering. I'm not. I don't do that. I don't keep attendance or roll. And honestly, it doesn't really matter that much to me because all I care, the most, I care most about your walk with the Lord Jesus, and you being fed the word, and you're growing and hitting your relationship with him. I hope that's happening here, Um, but if you visit other churches and all that good stuff, hey, knock yourself out. Go for it. Um, Just make sure you're getting fed, right? If you're going to sit under somebody's teaching, make sure they're feeding you the word of God, all right? So we move on from this point. Verse 5 when we returned to the ship at the end of the week, the entire congregation, including women and children, left the city and came down to the shore with us. There, we knelt, prayed, and said our farewells. Farewell. Just kind of like in, in the end of chapter 20 with the Church of Ephesus. Says when we went on board, they returned home. So you got this beautiful little scene. Like this is only a week, and they already connected so much. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of common bond in Jesus, right? So there, you know, it's kind of like that when people go on a cruise, you know, and you got people on the, on the land, you know, like, cheer, you know, saying goodbye, waving them off and all that stuff. That's really what's happening here. Uh, that, that had to have been encouraging for the Apostle Paul and for his team. It probably would have been interesting for the other people on the boat to witness that because that probably, it just doesn't happen. Usually, when they're stopping in port cities, they don't want whoever they interacted with during their time off to come and find them on the boat, okay? You know what I'm saying. Port cities were a little bit seedy, a little bit shady, and the sailor's life was one of like, you know, causing a little bit of trouble here and there all along the different port cities, you know, meeting so-and-so there and then meeting and then leaving as well, right? You don't want a farewell party in your, if you're just a normal sailor kind of living a wild life so this would have been interesting for them to witness all these families coming and seeing them off but it's just a display of it, it really is just a display of what true biblical christianity should look like when someone needs to leave we can celebrate that we should celebrate that when it's time for somebody to move on we should celebrate that it shouldn't cause problems but unfortunately, and even in the church back then, splits and all that stuff and people leaving, it's, it's never, it's, well, it's celebrated in a whole nother way, right? You're like, praise God, they're gone, right? You know, but it's not always what we want. We, what we want is like, so-and-so was here from this time, but now the Lord's calling them on and we're going to celebrate the fact that God is moving them on to somewhere else. Ideally, that's what you want, okay? It doesn't always work out that way. So they're, they're sent off, verse 7, the next stop after leaving Tyre was uh, Ptolemaeus, if that's how you say that, um, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed for one day. The next day we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip, the evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. This is way back in, the, in Acts, um, Acts chapter, what is that, 8, 7, 8, eight I believe. Um, He had four unmarried daughters, or four virgin daughters, uh, who had the gift of prophecy. So they were prophetesses. This is really cool, right? Um, Because this is a real thing. You're looking like, no, only only men in church can do this stuff. That's not true. That's kind of dumb. Um, That's not really biblical. Uh, If you grew up in a church like that, I'm sorry, but you weren't taught the right way. Um, Women can actually serve in a church. I don't know if you guys know that. Deaconesses? Yeah, that's a real thing. It's actually a biblical thing. Women having the gift of prophecy, that's a real thing. It's a real thing. I know sometimes, especially in the South, we grow up with this mentality of like, no, it's only like men and all this stuff. That's not biblical. That's not biblical. And I don't want to step on any toes here or anything like that, but I'm just saying, we should really read our Bibles. <laughs> we should just read our Bibles. Because uh, women, you, can, you receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit as well, and you're expected to use those gifts that's an amazing thing this is the best thing about jesus he looks at men and women he's like hey uh there's neither jew nor greek nor gentile no male nor female you're a christian right there's is not like any of the stuff that we're dealing with right now but it's like you're valuable you're you're just as valuable to the body of christ as any as any dude that should be an encouragement I always love these little, little bitty, you know, parts that get dropped here and there. Here's Philip with four daughters who have, they, four daughters all have the gift of prophecy. They're prophetesses. That's amazing. That's a cool thing. Praise God for Philip. Philip's a, Philip's just a rad dude. Um, I don't know if you know anything about this guy, but here's the funny thing about Philip. Um, So here's Paul. Let me just paint the the scene for you. Okay. So they show up in the city they're in Caesarea, which is not too far from uh, Jerusalem. It's about 60 miles or so. And there, he's staying at Philip's house. Now, so you know, so here's Philip in his house. He gets a knock on the door, maybe, opens the door. There's Paul. Well, last time Philip had any interactions, he wasn't Paul, he was Saul. See, the reason why Philip is in Caesarea is because of Saul persecuting the church. That's why he left Jerusalem. It's because this crazy dude and this persecution broke out in Jerusalem and, the Spirit, and that was the Spirit's way of moving the church. He said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the all ends of the earth. Well, the church was comfortable and they liked Jerusalem. And so the Holy Spirit is like, well, then we'll just turn up the fire. We'll inject some persecution to get you guys moving. Hey, that's a good word for us today. Church has become way too comfortable, way too comfortable. So if we need anything, we might need a little bit. The fire turned up a little bit, so we go and do what we're supposed to do. Quit being comfortable. There's a mission. Remember the race? It's the great, fulfilling the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. That's it not go and build churches. He never said that. He never said that. He said, go make disciples. So go make disciples. Well, we don't like to because we like staying comfortable. And he's like, okay, well, then I'll turn up the fire and praise God for when he does that. You may be like, no, 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 no mas, no mas. And he's like, no, he's like, you need to go. Why? Because you need to be a Philip. We need to be just like Philip. Philip is going to go. Uh, he has these really cool encounters. Um, he he gets to share the gospel in Samaria, which is uh, off limits to good, respectable Jews. You don't go into Samaria, right? You just don't. We don't talk to those people, right? We don't. We don't interact with those people. Well, the Spirit had led Philip into to share the gospel in Samaria, and we know that Jesus had already planted many seeds in Samaria because he was like, I don't care, I don't care what you say. Um, I don't. I don't have to be a good religious person. I'm Jesus, and I'm going to go into Samaria because that's where the lost people are, right? And religion's like, no, no, no. We don't. Jesus is like, I'm. I'm not about religion. Surprise, surprise. Jesus is not about religion. He's about relationship, and he'll go anywhere to get anyone to save anyone. Philip gets to go into Samaria, he gets to be an evangelist there, but he also has this really cool encounter with this Ethiopian eunuch who has been in Jerusalem, probably celebrating at the, the feast and all that good stuff, and um, the Spirit compelled Philip to run up to this guy's chariot. This is how we, we know he's connected, I mean, he's got money, uh, he, or he at least works for somebody who has a lot of money, because not just anybody had uh, chariots back then, right, so the Lord puts it on Philip's heart to go and run up, literally run up uh, alongside this chariot, and so, and Philip does. He runs him down, and then he asks him, he's like, what are you, you know, what are you reading, and the, he's, he happens to be reading through Isaiah, and the guy's like, man, but how can I understand this if, if I don't, how can I, you know, get this or understand this if I don't have anybody explain it to me, and then that opened the door for, for Philip to use this gift of evangelism. This Ethiopian eunuch, uh, who you know, he's going to be going back to Africa. So you got this guy. Uh, more than likely, he's he's African, and he gets saved, and he gets. They find like they just so happen to find water on the side of the road, and the Ethiopian eunuch's like, "Hey, well, what's permitting me from getting baptized?" He gave his life to the Lord. He's like, "I want to get baptized." So Philip dunks that guy. He gets baptized, and Philip's gone. He's just gone. Like disappears. He gets transported from there where he was at on that road south, and then that's when he gets dropped into Samaria, just kind of like raptured, so to speak. And this Ethiopian eunuch's like, well, that was weird. Hops back in his chariot, goes back to Ethiopia, and does what? Probably shares the gospel. More than likely, we don't know, this is speculation, but his, pro- his family probably, or what, if he, he probably didn't have a family. You, I think you understand eunuchs, right? Um, but co workers, work family, you know, all that good stuff. Um, more than likely, he's sharing the gospel with those guys. And the gospel goes to Africa as, P- as Philip goes to Samaria. Beautiful. This is, this is Philip, this is who, and he was chosen, he full of the Holy Spirit, he was chosen early in the book of Acts to, to serve tables, so to speak. He was a deacon because the needs were too many and everybody kept going to you know, the, the apostles and they had all the, the demands and we got the Greeks over here and they're not being taken care of like they should be and we're paying more attention to the, to the Jewish widows and all this stuff. Well, they, then they established deacons who were meant to serve The needs of the body. That's what a deacon should be. A deacon's not just some cool little pin you get to stick on your shirt, you know, as you greet people and be like, hey, deacon, deacon. Big deal, right? That means you're a servant. That's all that that means, okay? Any church hierarchy systems, that's just nonsense. A deacon is a servant. And it could be a man, it could be a woman. Deacons and deaconesses. If you want a title, then take on the title of servant, right? If You want a title, you could show up to Calvary Galveston and you're like, I really, I want people to know me. I, well, then they should know you for being a servant. That's it, there you go. If you need me to call you deacon, I probably won't. Um, but I would just, would just be a servant. Do the work of a deacon or a deaconess and let God get the glory. That's all. that's it. But this is Philip. He was one of those guys, and now here he is. And there's the Apostle Paul, and he's like, "Come on in, see what." And then it was Paul or Saul's persecution and hatred towards the church that drove out these guys. And because of that persecution, Philip got to he got to lead that Ethiopian guy to the Lord. And then because of that persecution, he got to go to Samaria and he got to lead multiple people to the Lord there. And then he ends up in Caesarea, settles down there, so to speak. He's probably serving there within the, the small churches there. He has a family. He's got four daughters. He's shown the Lord to these four daughters. Now, the, obviously these four daughters love the Lord and God has given them the gift of prophecy. But it's, would he have ended up in Caesarea without the persecution? I don't know. But the persecution persecution got him there so maybe the difficult moments and difficult seasons in your life are actually for a reason to get you to caesarea to get you somewhere down the road that you you can't even imagine what it's going to be like today but god is working in your life to get you to where he wants you to be so that your former enemy knocks on your door and says hey can i crash at your place for a while And you say absolutely absolutely because we're not enemies we're brothers now we're on the same team so endure whatever hardship or persecution you might be experiencing right now because you don't know how it's going to pay off down the road so remain steadfast keep your eyes on jesus He knows how to get us through these difficult times, but he also, in the midst of getting us through difficult times, he's working in and through us for what's to come. Philip and Paul were enemies, bitter enemies. Philip's one of his best friends died while Paul, or Saul, watched it. He was cheering them on as they were throwing rocks at Stephen. He was holding their coats as Philip's, one of his best friends, is dying. And then this many years down the road, 20 or so years down the road, Philip is welcoming Paul into his house simply because of Jesus. Isn't that a beautiful story? It absolutely is. Isn't it great what Jesus can do in each and every one of our lives? Somebody may have hurt you this many years ago, and the Lord can work on you, and the Lord can work on that person, and then maybe down the road, the Lord, your paths cross, even if it's only for a moment, but your paths can cross. And you can say, man, thank you, Jesus, for saving me and for transforming me. And you are the freest person on this planet if you can run with that kind of mentality. You are absolutely the freest person on this planet. And nobody can steal that freedom from you. Nobody can. The freedom just to walk freely. I, I'm not holding bitterness towards anybody. I'm not holding any grudges towards anybody. People, I, listen, I, like you, have experienced many hardships within this life. I've had people in my life, supposed to be the closest ones to you, to greatly disappoint you. I know what that feels like. But I also know what it feels like to carry the bitterness and the hatred for so many years because of that and how that kills me, me. It does nothing to them. They never feel the effects of that, except for maybe distance. But then I praised God that I also know what it feels like to surrender that, to own it for my part, to repent of it for the bitterness that I held on to and the hatred that I held on to and the unforgiveness that I held on to and what it's like just to surrender that to Jesus. You are the freest person on the planet when you do that. And I don't care where you live, on this globe, nobody can steal that from you. Nobody can. That's really the freedom that we need to be pursuing more than anything else. It's the freedom from bitterness and the freedom from hatred and the freedom from all that stuff. Inwardly first. And again, we talk about this all the time, but man, that's that vertical. That's between you and Jesus and you're staying focused on him and him doing this work in your life and freeing you and all this stuff and then the over the natural overflow of that is just this horizontal into your relation your closest relationships keep this good the vertical you and him keep this strong even when you don't feel like it you just keep going back to him you keep going back to him and you keep Throwing stuff at his feet. He, what did he say? 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your cares, all your concerns, all your anxieties. You can incorporate anything else in there. All your, your bitterness, all your envy, all your jealousy, all your hatred. You cast all of that onto him. Why? Because he cares about you. Just keep giving it to him. Keep giving it to him. Why? Because in Galatians, he told us, Galatians chapter 5. We, we talked about this a little bit last week. It's for freedom that you have been set free. Walk in that freedom. Conduct your life, live your life as a freed person, as a freed person. This is kind of what's happening here is you have Philip who's part of that first church and then you have Paul who used to be Saul the, the, the guy who hated the church and he shows up at his door and, and they're no longer enemies, they're brothers. They're brothers and only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. So if you find yourself in a spot right now where you're like, man, it doesn't, there's just, if they showed up at my door, I don't know if I could let them in or if I went to their door, I don't know if they'd let me in. Here's what I would ask you to do. Just surrender that to Jesus. Place it at his feet. And say, Lord, I, I care about so-and-so. But I can't do anything about this situation. So I need you to, I need you to, to act on my, you know, instead. I, I, can't, I can't say the words. I, can you speak to them? They won't even give me the time of the day. But Lord, can you meet with them? Because what I want more than anything else is is this thing back? Will it happen? You know, I don't know. I don't know. My story with my dad, that never happened. He passed away. He, just a year ago, he passed away before I had that chance to go to him and say, hey, look, I don't hold anything against you. It's all forgiven. It's all forgiven. I hold no grudges towards you. I've lived for 10 years now free. I never got the chance to tell him that. So sometimes that doesn't happen. But I'm still a free man. I'm still a free individual. And I trust that the Lord knows how to do things that I'll never be able to do. I'll never be able to comprehend. He knows how to move in people's lives and he doesn't even have to let me know about it because that's his business. So maybe he was doing something in my dad's life apart from me. I don't know. But i know that god is in control and god is just and i trust him above my intellect and all that stuff this is just a beautiful little story um paul philip uh it's just it's just amazing what that these two get to to hang out together and and here just to kind of wrap this up because we're running out of time i wasn't supposed to spend that much time on that but um you know how it goes uh I think we needed to hear that. Um, here's, a, here's an interesting thing. Verse 10. I'm only in verse 10. That just, clicked, that just clicked in my brain. I'm like, I'm only in verse 10. This is crazy. Uh, all right. Seven, several days later, a man named Agabus, who is no stranger to Paul, they've already met before. Um, I think it was Acts 15, where they got together because there was a famine going on in Jerusalem, and uh, they kind of worked together to. Send a relief package there. So Agabus, uh, who also had the gift of prophecy, arrived in Judea. He came over, took Paul's belt, which seems weird, um, and bound his own hands and feet with it. Again, weird, right? Like this prophet just shows up. This is like Old Testament style here. He shows up. You have everybody's kind of hanging out and um, you know enjoying some nosh or whatever, and you're just like, this guy shows up and he's like, "Hey, Paul, can I borrow your belt real fast?" And like, number one, I'd be like, "What? Why?" Like, no, I'm not taking my belt off because that's just really weird. Um, But he's like, I need your belt. Takes his belt. And I don't even know how he does this. My brain has been like just spinning like crazy. Like, how do you tie your own hands and feet together? Like, did he have an assistant? It doesn't matter, but this is just where my brain is like, how is he doing this? But he ties his hands and his feet together with Paul's belt. And again, this is very kind of symbolic in the sense of that Old Testament prophecy style, right? You think of like Ezekiel and some of the things he did and Isaiah and some of the crazy things that he did. So he bounds himself and then he says, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and turned over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, now this is Luke including himself, when we heard this, we and the local believers all begged Paul not to go to Jerusalem but he said why why all this weeping you're breaking my heart I am ready not only to be jailed in Jerusalem but even to die for the sake of the Lord Jesus when it was clear that we couldn't persuade him we gave up (laughs) and here's here's the winner for all your arguments with your buddies the Lord's will be done there you go that's your solution For all the people that you currently maybe be, you're arguing with about this or that, should we do it this way? Should we do it that way? Should we do this? Should we do, just let the Lord, the Lord's will be done. The Lord's will be done. Then you're going to spend, you know, who knows how long trying to figure out, well, then what is the Lord's will in this situation? Well, that's where you open up your Bible and you read and you pray and you ask him like, Lord, what do you want me to do in this situation? And he's faithful. He'll let you know. But if there's like any like little, little things, and, and here's, it's just an innocent little thing, but they're like, no, we don't want you to go to Jerusalem because this is going to happen. Note that Agabus, as he's given this word from the Holy Spirit, never tells Paul, you can't go. Even in the Greek, the negative term is never used. It's not used at all. He says, this is just what's going to happen if you choose to go. And Paul's like, I already know that. I know that. And everybody's crying. Everybody's like, no, please don't go. We don't want you to get locked up. We don't want you to die. And Paul's like, dude, this is... I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about it. Because from Acts chapter 20, I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit. I need to get to Jerusalem. I don't know what it is. I don't know why, but I need to get to Jerusalem. And so here's the Spirit just giving them another heads up. Hey, here's what's awaiting you. But not so much for Paul, but for the other believers. I really think it was a word for the other believers okay? They couldn't persuade him, and so they were smart and said, you know what? Just let the Lord's will be done. Let the Lord's will be done, because they weren't going to persuade him, and it didn't matter what he said to them. In one sense, it was like they weren't going to be persuaded either, and so they're just like, you know what? Paul, if you're going to go to Jerusalem, then we just pray that that really is what the Lord is is telling you to do. And you know, honestly, even if even if it wasn't what the Lord was telling them to do, Paul's like, I'm going to Jerusalem. Because, well, number one, I feel like that's where the God has told me to go, but I got I to gotta get to Jerusalem. Right or wrong, I, need, I feel like I need to get to Jerusalem. And then they head to Jerusalem. Um, I'm going to stop there because, I mean, it just kind of all kind of goes together and our time is out. Um, actually, I'm early you're welcome. Um, I'm early. So uh, praise God for that. Another miracle. Um, miracles are still happening in this day. Uh, so let me pray. <clears throat> and then next week, we'll pick back up in uh, verse 15. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a note of that, okay? Because uh, you know me. Um, Acts 21, 15. That's where we'll pick up. And we're, we're actually going to cover 21 and 22 next week because it all just flows together. But man, focus on Jesus, finish the race, stay focused on him. Well-intentioned people are gonna come into your life saying, no, you should do this, no, please don't do that. Look, if the Lord has placed something on your heart and you consult it with the word of God and through prayer, like, Lord, show me what you want me to do, open up the word, read, you just lay it at his feet, and then when he makes that clear to you, then be like Paul, set your eyes on jerusalem and say this is what he's called me to do and i'm going to finish this race and do not be surprised when well-intentioned people step into your life and offer other solutions they're not probably not meaning to sidetrack you but it could sidetrack you stay focused say you know what i love you i appreciate your concern great idea i have to finish my race i have to finish my race and then I would say this. Hold no grudges. Release the bitterness. Just let it go. Surrender it to Jesus. Bitterness is, is one of those weeds that establishes itself within our hearts, and those roots sink deep. And when you think you pull that thing out, you've only got the top of it, and sometimes the roots are still there. And then that weed will pop back up. Let the great gardener, the great vine dresser from John chapter 15, come into your life and remove that weed for you. But go through this life as freed individuals, freed people. You're not bound by bitterness. You're not bound by, you're not, you are set free. And I don't know what happens to the other person in the story. That that's not the major concern. The major concern is between you and the Lord in this moment and just surrender it to him. That's what, that's what you need to do. And if like me, um, how I was counseled by my brother, um, he said, write a letter, just write a letter to so-and-so. You don't have to mail it to him. That letter is just purely for you to get it out. No filters. No filters say what's on your heart and i did front and back letters many tears many tears and then i gave that letter to my wife and i said i don't care what you do with this thing i'm free i'm free and i was and i don't know where that letter's at today i have no clue it doesn't matter because in that moment the lord used that to set me free after 10 years 10 plus years of walking with him If that's what you got to do then do that guys do whatever it takes to for you yourself to be free so then you can show up and you can have a fill up within your life and it's like man we used to not click we used to not get along but now we're on the same team and man, we're running down the same road together and isn't the lord good and amen he is absolutely let's pray lord jesus we thank you for this day i thank you for your your death on the cross lord and how that man that just uh, It not only solves our biggest issue with sin sin and death lord but lord it just it sets us free it just sets us free lord there's so many hurts within this life lord and we encounter so many hurts oftentimes through this journey and sometimes these things can be weights that are just um weighing us down and then they start to choke us out lord and we feel like we can't move we feel like we can't hear you Lord, we feel like we can't even breathe at times. And I pray, Jesus, that even as we celebrated with communion, we just think back on your your death on the cross and your raising from the dead three days later, Lord. And how, man, Lord Jesus, that you just broke all the bonds. Any prison that we were in, Lord, you came through and you smashed all the locks off the doors and you've invited each and every one of us to walk out of the cell. And Lord, I apologize for the many times in my own life where I've called back into that cell. And I'm so grateful for your graciousness and your patience with me, Lord, how you, 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 you invite us to come back out. So I thank you for that, Lord. I pray for anybody in this room, Lord, Lord right now, who's just, they're just struggling. I, I pray, Jesus, that they would cast whatever it is onto you. Lord, and that they would realize that you actually do care about them and you actually do care about that situation. And you're not ignorant to these things. You're not ignorant to their pain. You're not ignorant to their suffering. You're not ignorant to their wounds, that you actually care about us. And you keep on inviting us to, to, to give to you all of our hurts, everything and so I thank you for that and so I pray for anybody in the room right now who's just struggling with that that you would just you would just lay those at his feet maybe even as we sing this last song this would be your moment to just to lay those things down at his feet Lord if they need to write a letter then let them write a letter whatever it takes to be free Lord we just thank you Lord thank you that man that you've never given up on us and we've given you so many reasons to give up on us but we thank you, Jesus. Thank you for how you worked in our lives. I thank you for how you can bring enemies together as brothers. And it really is, it really is only by your gospel, Lord, and, and your sacrifice on the cross, and your raising from the dead, Lord, that that can accomplish that. So may your church function like that, and look like that, and live like that in a very divided nation. May we, as your church, Lord, share your gospel and break down walls, Lord, because only you can do that. So we thank you, Lord. We just pray that you would uh, go before us the rest of this day, the rest of this week, and um, man, Lord Jesus, we love you so much, and we pray these things in your name. Amen.